Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's November the 11th, 2021. Uh, 2021 hasn't been, I don't think, a particularly good year for most people. Uh, it's the the year after 2020, still a COVID year, and we tend to be pretty miserable about the times we're living through. So I think most people think of 2021 as a bad year, although I, and my view is it's certainly a better year than 2020. Um, looking back in history, 50 years ago, back from 2021, was 1971. And I think that 1971 was actually a much worse year, a much darker year than uh, 2021. It began on a bad note. Uh, with the Ibrox disaster in Scotland, 66 people were killed in a, a stairway crush at the Rangers versus Celtic uh, football match. And it ended, ended miserably, too, on December 25th, um, 1971. It was the longest American football game in a National League football history. American football was already long enough, and this one lasted between Miami Dolphins and Kansas City Chiefs 82 minutes. Unbearable. 1971 was also the year of a particularly long song, in my view, an unbearably long song, Stairway to Heaven by uh, Led Zeppelin. I think it lasted eight minutes. That's probably about six or seven minutes too long. And 1971 was also the year of Led Zeppelin's major album, Led Zeppelin IV, which was a, uh, a big-selling album, sold many millions of copies, and may have been one of the darker moments, perhaps, in the history of rock and roll, Led Zeppelin being one of the bands that perhaps epitomized the corruption of the 1960s and the nastiness of the early 70s. Um, Led Zeppelin is indeed the subject of our show today. There's a major new biography, a long one, over 600 pages, perhaps in keeping with um, Led Zeppelin's songs, particularly Stairway to Heaven, by the noted biographer uh, Bob Spitz. Uh, many of you will be familiar with his biography of, um, of, uh, of the Beatles, of Bob Dylan, um, and many other uh, successful books. His new book is Led Zeppelin, the biography. And I have to ask Bob, who's joining us from New York, why Led Zeppelin, Bob? That's a, you, said, you told me before the show, you spent five years researching your biographies. Um, why spend five years of your life on Led Zeppelin? Well, they were one of the most iconic groups of rock and roll. They, uh, they changed the culture in 1970 from, you know, we had a decade of the Beatles, uh, Crosby, Stills and Nash, James Taylor, the Romantics, the post-war Romantics. And Led Zeppelin was, were from a different post-war band. They were post-Vietnam War, and there was a sense of aggression in it. It all came out in their music. And for me, for a biographer, uh, it's all about cultural context. And, and this band had plenty of it to look into. Um, one of your uh, biographies um, is Barefoot. Uh, I guess it's not a biography, it's more of a cultural history. Barefoot in Babylon, the creation of the Woodstock Music Festival, 1969. 
A lot happened between 69 and 71, or the late 60s and 71. Fit Led Zeppelin, their rise into this shift from the 60s to the early 70s. Well, you know, Led Zeppelin kind of put a period at the end of the 60s. They were not of the 60s at all. And in fact, the epigraph of my book uh, has two really interesting quotes. One is from John Landau, now Bruce Springsteen's current manager, who uh, was a rock critic in those days. And he was completely offended by, by Led Zeppelin. He was the old guard. And he said, these guys will fade. I'm, I'm paraphrasing. These guys will fade. They're greedy. We're not going to hear music like this anymore. And Jimmy Page's quote that follows it is, fuck the 60s. We're going to chart the new decade. Um, Jimmy... Um, Jimmy had a sound in his head that was nothing like the 60s. And he didn't care about the old romantics. He had a different sound and he was going to bring it in. And, and you know, that was just really an incredible, an incredible shift in music during that time. You um you, you work with Springsteen. Maybe we'll we'll talk about him a little later. But you sure. begin the book in Boston with um uh, an iconic uh concert by a gig by 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 Led Zeppelin um and, and and in some ways you compare Led Zeppelin in my mind at least to the Rolling Stones and the the sound of the Stones and their cultural legacy of borrowing what is it about Led Zeppelin that gives them their unique sound what is it about Led Zeppelin that makes them an interesting uh, uh intellectual endeavor yeah, it's a wonderful question. I mean, you know, again, I think it comes from the aggression. The Stones weren't aggressive. You know, they 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 uh, put themselves out there as Britain's bad boys, but they weren't really bad boys at all. You know, they um, they they just took the pose. Led Zeppelin walked the walk, and they they talked the talk. You know, they they made music that not that you not only listened to but you felt. If you went to a Led Zeppelin concert, it surged through your body and, and it, it created a whole different feel. And I, I think that was really unique. It was a real, as I said before, a, a shift in the way young people listen to music in those days. Uh, we, we went from kind of arena shows to stadium shows. Um, we went from, uh, you know, kind of very polite kids sitting in the audience and clapping their hands at the end of every song to kind of like the mayhem we saw in uh, in Houston this past week. And, and so, you know... Yeah, but we had, um, you know, between then and now, we had Altamont. I mean, we had a great deal of violence. We had The Who. I mean, wh why why was Led Zeppelin more aggressive, more, um, more violent culturally than The Who? You know, Led Zeppelin wasn't really violent either. Uh, th their music was kind of violent. I don't think the who, the who were violent. I really don't. I mean, they I, were aggressive. I mean, you know, when, when we think of Led Zeppelin, you think of John Bonham as the drummer. When you think of the Who, you think yeah. of Keith Moon. They were very similar in that sense. They were, but you know, what? Both, both bands destroyed ho hotels. Both um, both were made up of bad boys. Yeah, I, I think where the where the Who took things and cranked it up to ten, uh, Led Zeppelin cranked it up to fourteen. It was it was just a different level of the mayhem. When I think of uh, Led Zeppelin, and I have to admit I'm not a fan, 
I also think of Spinal Tap. Is there an was there an element of parody and self parody about Led Zeppelin? How seriously did they take themselves? Oh, you know, they took themselves very seriously. Absolutely no parody whatsoever. And in fact, I think when you know the three surviving members ultimately saw Spinal Tap, <laughs> I, I think they were they were they were shocked out of their their feet. They, those guys took themselves very seriously. Why were they shocked when they watched Spinal Tap? Because they knew it was a parody on bands like Zeppelin. Oh, well, I mean, if you saw the, the last concert they ever played in the United States, it was the fiasco in, in Oakland that was sponsored by Bill Graham. That staging is exactly the Spinal Tap staging with all the fake Stonehenge. And I mean, whoever was out in the audience that day and saw that said, if I ever make a movie, I know exactly what I'm doing with it. And the characters in um, in Zeppelin, Robert Plant, Jimmy Page, uh, John Paul Jones, and uh, Bonham. Bonham. Yeah. I mean, they could have also, in, in a way, stepped out of Spinal Tap. Tell me about these guys. Who of them do you think are the most interesting, rather than just parodies of rather corrupt rock stars? Yeah, well, listen, John, Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones are fascinating individuals. Both of them came out of the, uh, the studio session work in, uh, in Great Britain. And these guys were masterful musicians. I mean, Jimmy alone worked, and, and John Paul too. They worked on things like the early Who records, the Kinks records, um, Tom Jones records. Right. Both of those guys played on Shirley Bassey's Goldfinger. So, yeah, as you note in the book, um, Led Zeppelin began in a way as a super band, as this idea of bringing together um, a lot of iconic uh, musicians. Well, that was the ultimate goal of Jimmy's. I mean, he wanted to bring guys in like Stevie Winwood, who would who would sing and perhaps play keyboards. And, and bring in a drummer from Procol Harum. But that's not what happened. What happened, it, it was more like the monkeys. I mean, you know, Jimmy took people he had never met before, Robert and Bonzo, it, and it was like some from column A and some from column B, um, really not, uh, not a very well thought out process at the beginning. When I remember growing up in the Led Zeppelin, uh, I'm dating myself now, I was 11 years old in 1971. And in my school, particularly as a teenager, they were huge Led Zeppelin fans. They were a cult in many ways. Who was attracted by them? Well, young kids. I mean, you know, we look, there, with the Beatles and the Stones, it was 14 and 15-year-old girls. By the time we get to uh, Led Zeppelin in the 70s, it's 14 and 15 year old boys. Uh, you know, it, it, it's a very kind of adolescent urge and that's what rock and roll is all about. You know, it's about the next dangerous thing, the next dangerous sound. Rock and roll has to come from that. And I think, you know, like the Beatles and the Stones and the Who and Jethro Tull gave us that in the 60s, Led Zeppelin gave it to us in the 70s. You've talked about the uh, the aggression or the the energy of the live music. Yeah. But, but is there anything innovative about the music itself, particularly um, the recorded music? You know, Led Zeppelin 4. I, I was looking before this interview at some of the, the Rolling Stone charts, and Led Zeppelin is not really in fashion at the moment. Stairway to Heaven used to always be a 
you know, a top 50 all time uh, uh, single. Now it's it's not even in the top 100. Led Zeppelin 4 is out of the top 100 of best Rolling Stone albums. I think it might be about number 80. They're not really in fashion anymore. Do you think that's legitimate? Yeah, of course it is. I mean, you know, we're talking about music that's 50 years old. Give these yeah, but kids- that doesn't matter. The Beatles aren't out of fashion. The Rolling Stones aren't out of fashion. Bob Dylan isn't out of fashion. Yeah, but they don't sell they don't sell records like like Led Zeppelin does. Led Zeppelin still outsells anybody but the Beatles, and and that's pretty incredible. I mean, I think I think that's uh, and you know I th- I think we're really we're we're it's not even apples and oranges. Uh, m- my parents were aghast at the Beatles and the Rolling Stones because they had Ella Fitzgerald and Count Basie and Benny Goodman. And people my age, you know, we're, we're kind of aghast that people don't think Led Zeppelin is still the greatest band around. But the kids today are listening to stuff like, you know, like Drake. And, and it, it's, it's kind of like we have to get out of the way and let the next generation have their music. I understand that. Bob, in the, in the narrative of rock and roll, mm-hmm. is there a clear connection between, if you like, the reaction of punk and Led Zeppelin? Were they the, the quintessential band that the punks reacted against? Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, punk. the, the, the kids who um, were into punk really felt Led Zeppelin were dinosaurs. In fact, Robert and, and Jimmy went to see a couple, uh, they went to see The Damned when The Damned were just emerging as one of the, the earliest punk bands in the UK. And they compared Robert and Jimmy to Billy Joel and Lounge Acts. Uh, and so I, I think, you know, it's what I was saying before. Every generation wants to sweep the older one under the carpet and move on. And I, I think that's great. I think that's exactly where things should be. It's a long book, um, Bob, over 600 pages. Why is it so long? Well, actually, it's a lot shorter than 600 pages because there are 65 pages of notes. Okay, well, my my reviewer copy had even 500 pages. It's a pretty long book. Well, you know, I, I wanted to put it in its proper cultural context. And so we don't begin with Led Zeppelin. We begin with the blues. And, and what was going on in the UK in the early 60s. It was an incredible phenomenon because we didn't have that here in the States. In the UK, the, the young kids were into the Yardbirds, John Mayall. They were into electric blues. And a lot of the kids who were into electric blues went back and looked even earlier at some of the great Chicago and Delta blues artists uh, and, and really did their homework and got into that kind of music. And I felt before you had to understand Led Zeppelin, you had to understand the roots of Red, of Led Zeppelin. So I wanted to take the reader back to the, the days when the young kids were really uncovering blues for the first time in, in the UK and to see where everything came from. What about Robert Plant? He, he's the, the lead guy. Again, looks like he came out of Spinal Tap. Was he unusually talented in your view? I think he was extraordinarily, extraordinarily talented. He had a voice like nobody else's. When Jimmy Page, he wasn't Jimmy Page's first choice. Jimmy wanted, as I said before, either Stevie Winwood 
or a guy named Terry Reed, who was a young kind of blues builder who had uh, opened concerts for the Rolling Stones. And when they turned him down, uh, Terry Reed suggested this kid, Robert Plant. Nobody knew who he was. So Jimmy went up to see him uh, perform. And uh, Robert was from the Midlands. And uh, to Jimmy, that was like, you know, going to Poland. So he, uh, he went to a small teacher's college and saw this guy singing that, that it, it just blew him out of his chair. And, and Jimmy thought something must be wrong with this guy because with that voice, why isn't he in a great band? He, he must be in, impossible to work with or a head case. And in fact, Robert was none of those things. He was, uh, of all the people in Led Zeppelin, um, the brightest, I think, the most studious, the most, the most thoughtful. He was an excellent student. He was on the college track. Um, but he, um, he veered like so many of us into the path of a speeding rock and roll train. And soon enough, he was just singing in, in small bands in the Midlands. So, uh, I think, you know, his, his, his role in Led Zeppelin is, and that voice really defines the band. Bob, I've talked about Stairway to Heaven, of course, which, as I suggested, I think is rather long, and Led Zeppelin for their best-known album. Mm -hmm. for, for our viewers and listeners who are not familiar with the work of Led Zeppelin, where would you begin to listen to them? Oh, start at the beginning. I mean, you know, with Led Zeppelin 1. Um, it, it's a very rudimentary album. It shows that this band is not only a hard-hitting rock and roll band, but also couched in traditional music. They had the temerity to record Babe, I Want to Leave You, a song that was identified so closely with Joan Baez in those days. And, and, and I, I think that really shows that this group is more than just, you know, your run-of-the-mill heavy metal group, that they had a lot, a lot more going on. So I would start there and just work my way through the albums uh, when you get to LZ4, the one that you uh, just noted, I think you have to take a deep breath before you dive into that because it's something really different, something complex, uh, and and take and is much more hard hitting than some of the earlier albums. As you noted, Led Zeppelin still sells very well. Led Zeppelin Four was a remarkable success; it sold many millions of copies. Um, did this make these guys very rich? Did they spend all the money on? Drugs and girls. Uh, did it make them rich? It made them rich beyond any of our dreams. I mean, this it made them Elon Musk rich. Uh, and in fact, uh, when I was in the UK... And they didn't we, need to hire rockets to go into outer space, did they? They were good at that. No, they were in outer space already without rockets, <laughs> which was great. Uh, yeah, no, no. I mean, they, 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 they kind of held on to their money. Uh, Jimmy Page, actually, is, is a noted... Uh, cheapskate. You know, his his manager, um, uh, Peter Grant, used to joke that if you wanted to kill Jimmy, you should just throw a shilling in front of a speeding bus. Uh, so so these guys really walked away at the end of the uh, the 10 years that they were Led Zeppelin uh, with with their riches intact. And, and the, the riches were, I mean, you know, not just 300 million albums, but all that merchandise in that went with it. And, and incredibly, so much of it 
uh, came to them in cash. They didn't take checks for a lot of their, their concerts. They wanted to be paid in cash. They were badly behaved men, <laughs> young men. Um, they couldn't have, could they have got away with their lifestyle today, particularly in their treatment of women? Uh, I, I think that a lot of the bands still treat women that way, to tell you the truth. We just don't hear about it. They learned how to cover it up. Why do you think that is? Every industry seems to have gone through, to, to use a euphemism, a period of, of self-reflection when it comes to yeah. the sexual treatment of women. But rock and roll hasn't. Is it simply because there are enough women there that no one's really complaining? No, you know, they've they've gotten a pass, and I, I can't understand why they've gotten a pass. It's no secret that life on the road is is kind of a bacchanalia. Uh, there are a lot of young women who throw themselves at rock stars. Now, uh, you know, we have to we have to look at that a different way too, and that is a very young girl can throw herself at a rock star without too much judgment. But these guys are not kids. You know, if a 14-year-old girl throws herself at a 28-year-old guy, that guy has to use a really good deal of judgment. And in fact, so many of them don't. Um, if, if you read my book, you will see that, um, it, that I, I kind of take men who are 28 and 29 who find themselves in bed with a 14-year-old to task. I mean... I'm a father of a very young girl. Oh, she's not young anymore, but I, I was the father of a young girl. And uh, it gave me pause. It really did. You're also the biographer, as I said earlier, of the Beatles, of uh, Bob Dylan. Um, not everyone behaved with the same sort of irresponsible abandon as, as Led Zeppelin, did they? Well, actually, you know, not with the same kind of abandon, not to that degree, but there was a lot of bad behavior on the road. Look, you know, the Beatles were not choir boys. Um, Paul McCartney had told me when I began the book that uh, they had they had created a, a, a kind of a story that they gave to their so-called biographer, Hunter Davies, when they were 21 and 22 years old. And they did it chiefly to, you know, protect their wives and girlfriends and their families from some of the grittier parts of the story. And, and I, I, I remember looking at Paul and saying, you know, you're now edging into your 60s, and that was at the time. Is that what you want your legacy to be? And he went, no, it, it's about time that we, uh, we, we laid the whole thing out, and that's why I did that. Uh, but there was, there was bad behavior on the road, just not to the degree uh, that Led Zeppelin uh, took it to. A lot of historians, Bob, have made the, made the connection between the 1970s and the 2020s in terms of economic decay, um, pessimism. Uh, you're also the biographer of Ronald Reagan, of course, who with Margaret Thatcher came along in the 1980s um, and added a degree of optimism and dynamism, according to some and other, to, to others, it was something different. Was there something about the Led Zeppelin moment in cultural history that lent itself to a, um, an atmosphere of decay? Um, yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, at, at the time um, Led, uh, when Led Zeppelin came about, 
we were in, a, in, in financial straits here in the United States. Stagnation, unemployment, general strikes in the UK. Everything seemed to be going wrong. Middle Eastern war. Everything. And, and really, Led Zeppelin's music reflected an awful lot of that. I mean, when you, when you hear the aggression and the power and everything, a lot of that was just letting off steam. And, and I think they were the right band for the right time. I'm still not convinced you really like them, but you're putting on a good show. You have to. You spent five years writing this book. No, Andrew, I should, I should confess that when, when my publisher suggested that I write this book, um, I, I took a long, deep breath because <laughs> I have 20,000 20, vinyl albums in my collection, and I didn't have a single Led Zeppelin album there. Uh, I had been on the road with Bruce Springsteen and Elton John during that time, and our musical paths just didn't cross. It was I was listening to a different kind of music. Um, that said, when I decided to do this, because I found the cultural side of it so enticing, I really felt that I was this empty vessel, and the music was just filling me up. And I became a real dyed-in-the-wool Led Zeppelin fan. I did not know their music at the beginning. I might have been able to mention Stairway to Heaven and, and a whole lot of love, but that was about it. And when I sat down and listened to that music, I, I was gobsmacked. I mean, I, I just couldn't believe it. It was like someone saying, you know, oh, you liked Hamlet? Well, guess what? There are 16 other plays and all these sonnets you should listen to. Um, I am definitely a dyed-in-the-wool Led Zeppelin fan now because I realized the achievement of their catalog. It is vast, and it's, it's, it's really creative, really creative, and it rocks your socks off. Is there something very English about Led Zeppelin? Uh, a few months ago, I'm sure you know Ron Brownstein. He has a, he's another yeah. L.A.-based journalist. He has a, a great new book out, Rock Me on the Water, which is about culture and particularly music in, in, in Los Angeles in 1974. He argues it represents a high point in cultural terms. And of course, Rock Me on the Water is um, is, is, is reference to that. Um, Led Zeppelin were very popular and famous in the, in the United States, but they were quintessentially English, weren't they? You know, it's funny. They couldn't sell albums in the UK at the beginning. Uh, the UK was not interested and that's why they toured so much here in uh, here in America. It's like uh, there's an English phrase, uh, taking coals to Newcastle. Uh, English people didn't want to listen to Led Zeppelin, but Americans did. Exactly. It took it took the Brits a, a lot longer to get on the uh, the Led Zeppelin bandwagon, and uh, and so they they came here and really immersed themselves uh, in in not only America in the American uh, market, but also in American culture. I mean, if you would talk to Robert Plant at the time, you might have thought, except for the accent, that he was an American. I mean, this is a guy who loved McDonald's, you know. He he uh, he, want, he he and he loved the American blues, and so there was something slightly American about these guys. Yeah, I think you've got a good point, Andrew. Keith Richard, as well, of course, loved the blues. He was the one more than anyone else, I guess, him and Jagger who. Who, right. who imported the blues back into the world through the UK. Um, 
again, coming back to this uh, fascination Led Zeppelin had with the blues, was there something original about that? Or was it really just a continuation of what Jagger and Richards were doing? You know, I think it came out of the art schools in, in the UK. And uh, Richards, of course, went to one of those schools. Well, so did Jimmy Page, so did Eric Clapton, so did Pete Townsend. David I mean, Bowie, I mean, the whole generation of these people. Yeah, Brian Ferry, everybody. And 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 that's something we don't understand in the States. So this was this was fermenting in in the art schools. And it went from art school to art school to art school. And it was that whole explosion of blues that began with, you know, the Yardbirds and and uh, the Rolling Stones and John Mayall, uh, and gradually made its way to the States. But it took a long time to get here. Did they brand themselves as Led Zeppelin as rock and rollers? Um, you mentioned Bruce Springsteen earlier, John Landau. Brings, Springsteen, of course, took the idea of rock and roll and built built his brand around his version of what rock and roll should be. Did Led yeah. Zeppelin have a similar notion? Oh, with, without a doubt. Look, these guys, they all listened to Elvis when they were kids. Jimmy, Robert, uh, Elvis was their guy. And then they listened to, believe it or not, Ricky Nelson, because Ricky Nelson had a guitar player named James Burton, uh, who these guys idolized. And of course, you know, Gene Vincent, Chuck Berry, Little Richard, they all toured in the UK extensively. And... Both, all these guys, Jimmy, Robert, as 14 and 15-year-old boys, went to those concerts. So they really saw themselves as not just people who came out of electric blues, but really the next generation of rock and rollers. Finally, um, finally, Bob, um, I can't have this conversation without bringing up your Dylan book. It's interesting that you're your book, Dylan, a biography, isn't featured on your website, perhaps because it was written while he was still alive and he continues to invent and reinvent yourself. Uh, are Led Zeppelin dead now? Is this biography you've written, is this uh, something that will finish Led Zeppelin? Or is there another chapter in the Led Zeppelin story that will, might emerge after this book? You know, people ask me the same thing about the Beatles as well. My books on the Beatles and on Led Zeppelin end when the bands end. Look, it's about the Beatles. It's about Led Zeppelin. I put a period at the end of that. Um, do they have other careers? Robert Plant is having a hell of a career, and especially now releasing another album with Alison Krauss, having won a Grammy with the first one. So, you know, I mean, individually, these guys are, and, you know, Paul McCartney's still chugging out there, as he's about to be 80 years old, and Ringo in his 80s. So the, these guys have their own careers after the fact, but my books are really about the band, the Beatles, the biography, Led Zeppelin, the biography, and that's where the story ends. I'm guessing you wouldn't want to jump back into the Dylan Wars. There seem to be a lot of aggressive... Um biographers out there but uh, I haven't read your your Dylan a biography I need to read that anyway th this is a, a it's a wonderful conversation your your new book Led Zeppelin the biography is just out Bob congratulations on the book and congratulations on immersing yourself in Led Zeppelin I wouldn't have done it but clearly yeah. there were some benefits to you you began to appreciate the Led Zeppelin yeah. sound and the experience so congratulations on the book 
you're talking to me from New York. You also spend time in Los Angeles. What else should so you're probably spending a lot of time on airplanes? We're back on, we're back in the real world these days. What else should people be reading in addition to your new book, Led Zeppelin, the biography? You mentioned Ron Brownstein's book, Rock Me on the Water, which I think yeah, it's is really good. It's fantastic. It's really a great one. I am also, what am I reading these days? I'm reading Bewilderment by Richard Powers. Which, yeah, I've read that. Did you? I found that a fascinating book, actually. Really interesting. I think he is the most masterful novelist in the, of the last 20 years. But it's his treatment of child, you know, coming back to Zeppelin and, and rock and roll. Powers' Bewilderment is a post-rock and roll book. It presents children as grown-ups. As wider than grown-ups, it's 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 a really fascinating narrative. Yeah, he's a brilliant guy, and also you know he really understands music. Uh, his book, The Time of Their Singing, is just yeah. extraordinary. Really, an extraordinary novel. So I'm reading Richard Powers. Uh, I just finished my friend Amor Tull's book, uh, The Lincoln Highway, and uh, uh, you know, for pure pleasure, you can't beat it. So that's what's on my book table these days. Well, Bob Spitz, author of Led Zeppelin, real honor to have you on the show. Um, always nice to talk to a man who's really immersed himself in rock and roll. I hope you'll come back on the show, talk more Led Zeppelin, more Beatles, more Springsteen, more Bob Dylan. Thank you so much and keep My up. pleasure, Andrew. Nice being